good morning. My name is Eddie Cole, and uh, I'm a member here at West Shore. My wife is uh, Director of Women's Ministries, and uh, I am uh, blessed to be able to, to preach to you today. Isn't it just a really cool thing to know that we have uh, music being produced right out of our own home church? Uh, I don't know if you caught that at the, when he was making that statement. There's a lot of transition going around for offering. Uh, but uh, George and Nick wrote that song that we just sang. And so I just think that's uh, it's great. So uh, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And um, we'll be jumping right in. I am a district superintendent as well as just a member at West Shore. I'm just so glad to be here today, uh, just to be at my home church. I'm very grateful for Pastor Trent. Uh, he's, he's just welcomed me in to be a part of the, of the team and just been a, a friend to me since I moved here. So I appreciate having a pastor who opens up like that. Thank you so much. I'm honored. And um, I want to jump right in because I, I kind of squeezed the last service. I, I get in trying to warm up and, and just kind of get a rapport with people because I do this every week seems like in a different church. By the time I did that in the last service, I didn't leave enough time on the end for what I wanted to. And so just jump in with me. How many of you like to walk into a pool? Raise your hand. Or to Yellow Breaches Creek? Just walk in. How many of you would rather just jump? Okay, so we're going to jump right now, all right? What I want to do is just jump into this passage and just invite you to come along with me. We're going to read a, a lengthier passage, but I think it's good for us to get the context of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So let's read that together. This morning, I want, to, uh, I want to encourage you, as I believe the Apostle Paul is doing in this letter to the Corinthian believers, to be steady in the race that you are running. It's the race of faith. There are multiple places. There's Hebrews there's uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy. There are different places where the Christian faith is likened unto a race. And that's kind of what the title is about this morning. Just steady confidence wins the race. I want to call your confidence to not be in yourself, though I don't want to call you to have a lack of confidence. I want your confidence to be grounded and rooted at the right place. And that's primarily in the Lord and in his work in your life. And the Apostle Paul is writing to these believers in Corinth who are living in some challenging times. They, Paul established this church. He went in there. He led some people to faith. He trained up leaders. He moved on. Uh, and in his absence, they had some people that came along, and they had bad teaching. Therefore, they had bad doctrine. Then they had bad behavior. Then they had divisions. So you name it. Now, we can be rough on them. I, I once saw a church called Corinth Baptist Church, and all I could think of was, did they read the Bible? Who in the world wants to be the Corinth church? That's one messed up church. But when you, when you read through there, here, he's correcting a lot of things that were wrong. But I do want you to know that he loves them. He's got a pastoral heart for them. And he's calling them to stay steady. Keep running the race of faith. And he's encouraging them that you have something. You have something powerful, something weighty. In fact, something glorious that's already within you. And he's doing that in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. And so that's why we're going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. We won't read all of chapter 4. But I want you to just turn your attention there to verse 1 with me. And the Apostle Paul writes this. 
He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, and not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And what he's talking about there is you see the contrast tablets, not on tablets of stone. That's pointing back to the Mosaic law. And we're going to read more about that. But then he talks about the letter of the Spirit. And so that's what the contrast is. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so what he's saying is the law was intended to be here for a season and the, what it was intended to do was not to commend you for how good and, or commend any of us for that matter for how good and moral and upright we are, but in fact to show us we're not. It did give us a guide and it gave us a path, but in fact, if there were no sacrificial system with the law, it'll left people hopeless. But the sacrificial system was how they could find forgiveness and atonement and kind of know that we're, we're okay with God because he's accepted our sacrifice. I'm so messed up. How in the world can I pay God back? Well, what God was doing through the law was pointing them ultimately to the once and for all final sacrifice, his son Jesus. And that's the good news of the gospel. Verse 7, now if the ministry of death, being the law, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Quick contrast again. There's two things that had diminishing glory. There was the law that, again, was was and is good, but good for a purpose and specifically for a season for the people of God. And it had diminishing glory because, to, because the gospel of Jesus Christ who fulfills the law is coming and he's not coming to, to bring condemnation and death, but to bring life and peace with God. And so that's, that's the difference there. And what Jesus is coming to bring is not diminishing at all. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter as the day grows darker and darker and darker. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, watch this, 
you could put right in there with unveiled face, meaning we all with faith, with trust in God, with our eyes fixed on Christ, with, with what we have, with belief. We all, when we look to God now, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would help us to just let our minds settle on this. Let our hearts be filled with your power. Holy Spirit, we plead with you now. Bind every foe from hell. Break every chain of bondage. Lift heavy hearts. Make dead hearts come alive through faith in Jesus. Apply this word all across this building. Anoint me afresh and anew, Lord, that I could speak your word, words of life. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The key verse that I want you to see is verse 18. And we all with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The whole chapter matters, but that one verse right there is really the heart behind what I want to talk to you about this morning. It has to do with growth. God is concerned with our growth. And in order to kind of make it connect with where we are today, I want to say what we're growing in is our understanding of appreciation for and showing forth God's glory. The word glory is uh, mentioned, written at, at least 12 times in this one chapter alone, either as a noun or an adjective. You'll find it right there in chapter 3. It is a word that is uh, often used around churches but not often understood. So let me just take a few minutes and talk to you about glory. This may sound churchy and it may sound to some of you like a little bit boring. You're already thinking about the NFL fantasy draft or the eclipse tomorrow. But if you'll hang on for about five to seven minutes, I'm going to lay this foundation and then we're going to apply it. All right? Would you, would you work with me for a few minutes? You're going to, I'm sure. So here we go. What is glory? In the Old Testament, you would find glory kind of relating to uh, the worth of something. It relates to worth both in the Old and the New Testament. But it's relating to worth as far as like weight or heaviness. Uh, and it's a, it's a really important concept. Uh, this idea that you'll hear people use even today, something or someone is worth their weight in gold. You'd kind of find that kind of born out of these times way back here. You see the word glory being used in the Old Testament many times over, but my favorite one is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Isaiah gets this vision up in the throne room of God, and, and he ultimately looks up and he sees the angelic vision around the throne, and they're singing, holy, 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 or they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It says, ultimately, the whole earth is full of his glory. The, the doorposts shake, they tremble. And Isaiah, looking at the glory of God and, and looking as, at what he can see anyway, he, he just knows that he, he is not fit to be in the presence of that throne room 
the God that is there. He's just not fit for that. And he says, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among an unclean people. And he just knows in this moment, this kind of glory with me in it, this doesn't mingle well. But thankfully, God in that, in that vision gives a, a real picture of something that's beautiful, and that's forgiveness and an invitation. Instead of evicting him from his presence, God allows one of the angels to touch his lips with the, with the coal, and he's, it's a picture of forgiveness. In the Old Testament, I'll, I'll talk about a couple more places, but there's that. You've got the idea that it's just this weight, it's this heaviness, and, it, and it's kind of too much to bear. In the New Testament, you've got a, a kind of a, another picture another expression of it, and it still has to do with worth, but this time it's kind of dealing with light. It's, it's something that's just so wonderful, and it's brilliant, and it's just so magnificent that light comes out of it. it just, it's expressive like that. It has to do with splendor or greatness. Same thing attached to worth. When you look in Matthew 17, verse 2, you can see that there on the, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus goes up to pray. He's got James, Peter, and John, his inner circle with him. He goes up there to pray. And when he goes up there in verse 2, the scriptures tell us very clearly that Jesus starts to pray. And that glory that has been veiled by his flesh, just, just for a minute, that has been veiled just peels back. And what happens, James, Peter, and John just fall. They can't even look at it. It's so profound, so powerful, they couldn't stand it. Acts chapter 26, verse 13, the apostle Paul is talking to King Agrippa, and he's telling his story of conversion. This guy was a persecutor. He hated the church. And he's going to persecute the church, and he's got letters in his hand saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Arrest them, imprison them, beat them, whatever you do, stop this Christianity stuff. And what ends up happening, he says to King Agrippa, I'm going down the road that day on the Damascus Road. It's noontime in the Middle East. Noon, sun, hot, <laughs> very bright. And he says, but there was a light that was brighter than the sun that shone around me. Absolutely powerful. This is the glory of Jesus. This is when Jesus revealed himself to the apostle Paul. So you have in the Old Testament, it has to do with heaviness and its weight and this, it's just unbearable. And then you get to the New Testament, in most places that you look at it there, it's brightness, it's glory. Now with that being said, what are some places? Let me just give these to you and I'm going to land on the one where we are today. What are some places in the Bible that you can find glory? Here they are. They're in your outline. You see in Psalm 19.1, creation declares the glory of God. Just look around. How many of you are going to look out tomorrow at the eclipse? How many of you have your glasses? I'm no scientist, but I would advise you, get the glasses if you plan on looking out there at the sun. I've been told it's dangerous. Now, if you're a scientist, you can correct me, and hopefully you can spread the word fast. But I'm going to be on the cautious side and say the heavens declare the glory of God. And I've been told by people, do not look tomorrow straight up into that. It's dangerous. Well, here's what I want to say. What, what the Apostle Paul was saying, what James, Peter, and John saw that, that day on the Mount of Transfiguration, that's a glory, that's a brightness that is brighter, brighter in our God than even it will be tomorrow at the eclipse. Glory. All heaven declares the glory of God. 
You see it in the giving of the law. The reason that the Apostle Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 talking about the law. When Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the law from God, he prayed at the very beginning of that, Oh God, show me your glory. Now he had already come down and broken some tablets and found them in a mess. But now he's, he's saying, God, if you don't go with us, if you don't fix this, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to leave these people Lord, these are your people called by your name. And, and God tells him to come up. And he says, Lord, show me your glory. He's just wanting to know. Now, here's Moses who walked with God and saw God like nobody else around at that time is saying, God, show me your glory. I love that prayer. So close to God, but he knows that there's a, there's a depth to which he hasn't been. And so he's praying this. But then when God meets with him, eventually, the glory of God. And by the way... You probably know the story if you've been around church very long at all, but God says, no man shall see my glory and live. He says, go ahead and hide over here in the cleft of this rock, and I will pass by. God, Moses comes out after Moses, or Moses comes out after God passes by, and what does it say? He could see the backside, but essentially, he didn't see the glory of God, but the power of this season that Moses had with God up on that mountain was so transformative, so powerful that it literally changed his face. When Moses came down, they said, Moses, we can't look at you. He's reflecting the glory of God so much, they said, we can't look at you. So he put a veil on his face. And the veil was there because they couldn't look at him. It was also hiding the fact over time that glory that was reflected on his face, it's diminishing. So the glory on Moses would diminish, the glory of the law would diminish, but there, that was temporary and, and that was meant to be that way. But you see still the glory of God in that moment. You see the glory of God in 1 Kings chapter 8. In 1 Kings chapter 8 at the consecration of the temple, the place of worship where God's people would come and, and meet with God and, and the glory of God would, would fill that temple. It said that the glory of God so filled that room that, they, that the priest couldn't even stand in his presence. Remember when I said that in the Old Testament it had to do with weight? Well, here, just imagine something weighty just coming down on you. Let me ask you a question, kind of as a devotional, personal question. Have you ever had those moments when you've been privately worshiping with the Lord where you've just felt like God was with you? Anybody? Have you had those? You've had those moments in church, right? <laughs> where you just, you just know kind of God is with me. God is here. What's your response to that? I think it can be different. I can tell you me. And in those moments, there's something in me. And I'm, I'm, I don't mean like just a, a glimpse, a passing by. But I'm talking about when you have those moments when there's something profound. There's truth. There's his presence. And it's in his spirit. And you know it. And you, all you can do is just be in awe. I have two responses. One is I just want to cry. I, I'm, I wasn't a crier before I met the Lord. He made me a crier after. But the other one is sometimes I just want to say, can we just stop the schedule and can we just stop the clock and can we all just get flat on our face and worship him right now? Because he's so awesome in those moments. And that's why Peter up there said, hey, you want us to build some tabernacles here? We don't want to leave this place. When God shows up in power and glory, we don't want to leave because it's so profound, so other. Something about it, it both propels us and tells us we shouldn't be there, and both it compels us and says, yes. And that's what's happening there 
At the temple, there's the glory of God. And Jesus is the best place to find the glory of God. In, in John 1, verse 14, we know that he's the word made flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him. In his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the apostle Paul goes on to say, Let light shine out of darkness, for let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I would point you to creation. I would point you to the Bible. I point you to the, those moments. I point you mainly to Jesus if you want to find his glory. Look to Jesus. Amen. Say amen if you're with me. That'll encourage me to keep going. Okay, now the groundwork is laid. Here's the place where I want you to, I want you to park with me. This is the one thing I really want you to get. Amazingly enough, it seems impossible to me, but amazingly enough, the other place in the New Testament that you can see the glory of God is in and through the church. Us. Even the Corinthian church. It says it, he says in verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Put that together with what's over in chapter 4 and what we have in us is truth, this presence of God made a, uh, that by the Holy Spirit making the truth come alive to us. We have glory in us. And what Paul is saying is as we, as we behold the Lord, as we look at him, we are transformed into the image of Christ. And that is the kind of growth that God wants for us. God wants us to grow in Christ-like character. When we look at this passage, here's what two things you can see very clearly. Number one, unlike in the Old Testament when it was only for Moses and everybody else was just kind of out there on the periphery, this is not just for the Christian celebrities. This is not for the Apostle Paul or for Trent Thompson or Francis Chan or Billy Graham. This is not for a select few. Paul says, but we all, it's for every one of us. You may feel very weak. You may feel very broken. You may be a new Christian. Whatever it is, I want you to know you are still part of that crowd that the Apostle Paul is including in the word all. You, you have glory in you. And you are right now being transformed into the image of Christ. If you have received Christ by faith, if you've heard the gospel of Jesus preached, and, and it just came alive to you at some point. I don't know if you were, if you were 44 and, a, and you knew your sin, you knew your rebellion, or if you got saved at the ripe old age of four as a terrible rotten sinner. Either way, if you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, I want you to know he has begun a work in you to conform you to the image of Jesus, and it is a work that he's not going to quit on. And I'm very grateful for that. Are you growing? Are you growing in glory? Am I growing? You know, it's easy when you're a kid to know whether or not you're growing because, you know, you can see it on the doorpost with the little pencil marks, right? 
I've got a nephew named Maximus Alexander who's going to one day rule the entire world. (laughs) Max is 14, about to be 15 years old. In two and a half months, I kid you not, this is no exaggeration, he went from being 5'10", which is my height, to being about 6'1 and a half. Is that crazy? I used to pray to be 6'1 and a half. I realized God said no. But when you're a kid, you grow, right? When you're older, I mean, you grow in other ways. But you typically don't grow like that. But I want you to, I want you to understand, it is important that we're growing. As we age, we should be growing more like Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging. As a matter of fact, uh, you don't have to turn there, and it's not on a slide, but if you were to go over and read in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, you would see this. You would see, for those whom he, being God, foreknew, he also, be pre- he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is concerned about our growing in Christ's likeness. Now, with that being said, here's the question. Here's the big question. How then do we grow? How does it happen? How do we grow in in being aware of his glory and then letting that be manifest through us? Because if, if God's saying that the glory, his glory, which is in the church, is supposed to be seen through the church, then how in the world do I grow in that? I, I got to grow in it. So how? And, and the key here is in this verse, verse 18. First thing you can see is by the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this in your own power, neither can I. We can't do this in our own power. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We know the Holy Spirit's the third person of the Trinity. Nothing to be afraid of. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus told us that it's good for us that he would come. He said it was so good that it's even better for for us as followers that he would leave so that the Holy Spirit would come. So we have no fear from the Holy Spirit because what the Holy Spirit is going to do is he is going to magnify Christ. He's going to do a lot of things. But in us, he's going to magnify Christ and he's going to shape us to be more like him. So I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm not going to say I'm more determined today to be like Jesus. That'll work for a little while. It just won't sustain The idea is that the more we behold him, the more the Holy Spirit takes what we are beholding and shapes us to look like that. And then those fruits naturally come out of us. When you look over, again, you don't have to turn, but if you were to look over in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is, is love and joy and peace. And it goes on and it lists some things there. If I want to, if I want to look more like Christ, I, it's not just that I'm going to go around and make blind people see or dead people you know, rise. That's probably not going to happen. But what can happen and what should happen is that I grow in Christ-like character. Why? Because that's the will of God. 
And so that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And our help comes from the Lord, the same one who was there at creation, is here in our hearts to help us. And how does he help us? Second thing, he helps us to grow into Christ's image. We are being transformed into the same image. Said it just a minute ago. I want to bear his fruit. I don't want to just do, I don't want to go out and make a commitment to do what Jesus did. I want to commit to be with him. And as I'm with him and as I, I worship him and I behold him, then, then I start to become more like him. And that takes us to the third thing. We behold his glory. What am I beholding in his glory? I'm looking at Christ. I'm spending time with Christ in his word. You can find Christ throughout the scriptures, Genesis all the way through Revelation. He's either explicit or implicit in there, but you will find him all through your Bible. And the more you spend time with him, the more you talk to him, the more you listen to him as he speaks to you through your word, the more he starts to shape you. And so we behold his glory. We look at him and we keep our eyes fixed on him. It's not just a glance. It's a continuous fixing of our eyes. So we behold Christ. And then fourth and finally, you see there in this verse, it says as we do this, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. We grow with patience from one degree to another. From one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And I just want to say right there, there are a couple of points of application that this ought to give to us. We, are, we grow with the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, 5, that if he's the vine, we're the branches. If we abide in him, he abides in us. And we bear much fruit. But he says, without me, you can do nothing. And that's the Holy Spirit. We, we grow by the Holy Spirit, which is essentially the presence of Christ in us by his Spirit. We are growing into his likeness as we behold his glory with patience. I want it to be fast. And God doesn't work that way. It's a funny thing, though. When I first met the Lord, I, you know, I, I, it seemed to me like Christianity was more about what you didn't do. You know, I, it's like I was concerned because of my testimony, my background from a, from a partying background, doing a lot of crazy stuff. When I first met the Lord, I was like, okay, I can't do this. I can't do X and Y and Z. How many of you, when you first met the Lord, you knew very well what you were not supposed to do? Raise your hand. Good. I'm just wanting to make sure you're still with me. How many of you were brought up in, in church cultures where, like, you couldn't do hardly anything? You couldn't, you couldn't go to movies. You couldn't play cards. You, you couldn't drink because drinking would lead to dancing. <laughs> right? I come from a Southern Baptist background. Now, my, don't think I'm mocking and making fun. I'm very grateful for my background. And I, somebody that had the issues that I had, I needed somebody to tell me, don't do that. All right, so I'm grateful for what I, I was told not to do. That was actually very helpful for me. But there is more to your Christianity than not doing certain things. A whole lot more. And then as you grow a little bit, you're like, oh, it's about what I do. Okay, now i got to stand up for the broken, the oppressed, and i got to go on mission trips, and i got to do, and i got to do, and i got to do that. So Christianity is do, not doing that, but it's doing that. Right? 
So that's what I got to do. But now I'm a little bit further along. I'm over 20 years into this journey. And I'm like, I think it's more just about who you are than it is what you do or don't do. And then all that just flows out of that. It's who we are. We're more like Jesus. We behold him. We look for him. We spend time with him. Have you ever noticed that people who spend a lot of time with one another, they rub off on one another? You ever notice that? Have you ever come across a husband and wife that could almost pass as brother and sister? You're like, oh, that's sick. <laughs> I know. I, grew... <laughs> I was going to say I grew up in East Tennessee, but anyway. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... It's cousins, anyway. The... <laughs> but you know, they have the same isms. They, they have the same enunciation of their words. Their humor is the same. There's, they like the same food. And you're like, what happened? Did you two like just, what happened here? Because you're like the female and male version of your counterpart. Why is that? It's because you're with one another all the time. And you can't help but rub off on one another and become like one another. Right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, the more you spend time with Jesus, thankfully, thankfully, the more you'll become like him. The more you worship him, the more you spend time in his word, the more you time, sp time you spend meditating on it, the more time you... you give to serving him, the more time you look for him in day-to-day -day life, the more time you pray and you pray for people and watch those prayers be answered, it's in those moments that, that you realize Jesus is with you. Nothing will encourage your prayer, your, your faith journey with Jesus, knowing that he's with you more than an answered prayer. Prayer, praying. Let me give you two ways as I'm closing that this should encourage us and help us. Number one, uh, this ought to help us when we're discouraged with ourselves. Um, some of us are impatient people. I would say a lot of us. I would say every one of us who's not a farmer <laughs> is probably very impatient. It's just the nature of the culture that we live in. Rush, 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 go, go, go. I want spiritual growth, start. Microwave, send. Doesn't work like that, does it? And then there are times that you're like, oh man, you feel good about yourself in one area, you're doing, you're, you just know there's growth, and then, and then you fail in some other area, you trip up, you give in to something over here, and you just feel, have you ever been in that moment where you just felt like there's no way Am I really saved? I'm like the worst Christian on the planet. Have you ever had those moments where you're just where you feel like God doesn't even want me to pray? You ever had that feeling? If not, good, thank God. I, I wish I were like you. But a lot of us have been there because you just feel like you're so you, you may may not be disqualified, you certainly feel unqualified. I don't fit. I don't fit. I should be here. 
you're looking at someone else thinking, they're there, why am I not there? And you just, you're just, a, you're a wreck inside yourself. I've, I just want you to know as a word of encouragement, I've been there a hundred times over. I have been there. If, the, if you're here this morning and you've ever been discouraged, or if you're discouraged this morning because you're not showing Christ-like uh, characteristics in the way that you think you should be, I just want you to know I've been there. Just don't stop. Steady confidence in Christ. The other day, I, I saw the picture of the, the car in Charlottesville going through that crowd, and I saw that African, African-American man just suspended between heaven and earth, and I, I just, I, that, it had a visceral reaction in me. I got so upset, and I, I, just, I, it, I just had tears. About, I, just, I became a wreck, and I was like, I got to go pray. So I just went, I started praying, and I started actually saying, thank you, God, because I'm not always feeling someone else's pain. So this is, this is good for me, that I can actually feel pain, because I look at that, and I'm just thinking, why is this man suspended midair? What, what would possess anybody to do something like that? Who would, and KKK and racist and whatever. How could this happen? And, and my heart broke because I've got friends. I've got Cedric and Lisa Brown who were here last week. I've got Michael and Gail Martin. I've got Bill Sweeting and Katie. I, I've got all kinds of friends who are African American. And I think to the core of my being in that moment, I just wanted to give a collective hug and say, I'm so sorry. I just want to hug you. I want to love you. I want you to know your worth right now. And I felt that. And I, for a minute, I was just like, thank you, God, because I don't always feel that way. I go on jogging, listening of all things to some praise and worship. And within about 10 minutes, you know where my mind goes? I'm going from being a growing Christian to being a coal. You know what I'm thinking of? Now my mind goes from thinking about that and the people who are hurting to thinking about those that I want to hurt. And I'm thinking, okay, we could clean this mess up real fast. Just call in the Marines. Amen? Don't say amen to that. Because <laughs> the point that I'm making is that that's a fleshly reaction. You see, the reality is, is that only the gospel is going to bring people out of their bondage of racism and bring them into the freedom of the love of Christ for all peoples around the world. And that is, that is what I want to want. In a minute, though, I went from being Christian to being cold. And then I just felt terrible. You ever been there? Swing of the pendulum in a matter of minutes. Have a great quiet time. Have a great church service. And then somebody doesn't hit the gas pedal on the way out fast enough. And you're hangry. And you're like, man, come on. Hit the gas pedal. That was a good sermon, wasn't it? That was really good. That was a beautiful song they wrote. So blessed. So blessed. Amen. And now all you're thinking is we got to see which way they go. We don't go to the same restaurant when they. Right? You just, you know what I'm talking about. It's like a pendulum scene. You just feel terrible. If you've never been convicted of your ungodliness, 
then you need to know it's time for you to give your heart to Christ because he does. Anytime you're acting unlike him, he says, that's not me. If you're his, you can't get happy for long anyway in sin. Second thing I want you to see, don't be discouraged with yourself, but secondly, don't be too impatient with others. God's still doing a good work. Amen for every parent of children, (laughs) young or grown. As if you needed that explanation, a parent has a child somewhere in there, right? Would you put that picture up there, please? We're closing with this. This is, to me, such an encouraging, award-winning picture. Um, This is in Rome. And it is an award-winning picture. I I took it. And the award is, (laughs) it's my favorite. And so that's, that's the award it has now. The truth is, it really and truly, as goofy as that sounds, it does mean a lot to me. I've looked at this picture, I don't know how many times. I'm going to tell you why. This building right in front that is like a shell of a building that looks like it's been bombed, uh, it probably was. That's probably from World War II. I, I'm not exactly sure. But where that stands, there used to be a temple to the Emperor Nero. That was the emperor that was around when the Apostle Paul was around when the apostles were around there. And, and he had this big temple, and out in front of that temple, he had a statue made of himself and overlain with gold and all this kind of stuff. And he's the one, listen to this, he, he, he put animal skins on the back of Christians and, and put them out there and made wild animals go chase them and kill them. He's the one that used to crucify, he was crucifying Christians. He would, I, I, there are things that are unspeakable in this room. I just don't want to scare any kids he martyred the Apostle Paul and Peter. He, he did all kinds of mess. Here's the interesting thing. You look at that and you think, wow, that's pretty messed up. It is messed up. The, the temple's destroyed. The statue is completely gone. And by the way, the statue was gone within days of the time that Nero died. And not only that, the temple was pretty much emptied and anything that had to do with Nero was taken down within days of the time he died. But the, but the irony of all this is this. The Apostle Paul, when he's preaching about the cross, when he's preaching about Jesus, please hear this. That was a crazy message. It was absolute insanity. Why? Because that was just a form of execution for them. And here's a guy preaching a message saying, my life is in the cross of Christ. They know it is a form of death. Christians, you Christians, we're going to eliminate you. We're going to put you out here. We're going to kill you out in the streets. We're going to put an end to this message. This is what we're going to do to the church. For anyone to listen to the Apostle Paul to say, we are being changed. Nobody's believing that. And nobody's believing it when he writes in Romans 8, 28, that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those who he predestined, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also, past tense, glorified. In other words, it's good as done. We're growing from glory to glory. They're reading this message, and it seems like Paul is defeated, the church is defeated, this message is over, it's done, Paul is out. But lo and behold, here we are 2,000 years later. Who in the world is believing Paul's message when they're all dying out there? But 2,000 years later, look up there, there's a tower behind the one that's in the forefront. And up on that tower, unless you have perfect vision, you can't see it. I, would, I, would, I will try better if I ever show this again. But there's a little 
there's a cross up on the top of that tower. So get the picture. Nero, what do you see from Nero in all of his glory? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've heard of anyone named Nero? It's like Judas. You just don't hear it. There are no Neros. He died. He died, and everybody wants him to stay dead. But look at the life. There's a huge tower, and on the top of it, a cross. That is the transformative power of the Christ that you and I worship and serve to this day. And when he says that he's going to do something, all hell can't stop it. And he says that we are confident of this very thing, Philippians 1.6. I'm sorry, sister, I jumped over that. We are confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Receive that and let your heart be strengthened. Look into the face of Jesus and worship him. And if you never have today, give your heart to Christ. He loved you. He left his glory to come into a mess of pain so that you might one day go to glory with him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you, to serve you. And I pray now as we close with this worship song and Pastor Trent comes and gives us a benediction, I just pray that every heart in here would be encouraged, every eye lifted in faith to the resurrected, risen, exalted, and soon coming Jesus. Work in us, Holy Spirit. To look at Jesus more through the day and to look more like him through the day as well. If anyone in here, Lord, isn't that place of faith, I pray right now they would turn and just pray a simple prayer, invite you in, and receive your forgiveness. For that's why Jesus came, to forgive every sin, to give power, freedom, and ultimately heaven. We love you, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.